0: Well, we've been in Ephesians 6, but right now, before we get to Ephesians 6, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 2. I want to give you a little bit of context to what we want to talk about this morning. We want to pay uh, honor to moms and motherhood and the role that they play in our lives, especially in our lives of faith, in the context of giving honor to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the name that's above every name. And as we talk about some women in the, in the scripture that are very honorable, we want to see something uh, all the way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. I know I would be one child in view of Proverbs chapter 31, it says, rise up and call her blessed. My mom's not here today. Um, she's what she's usually doing. She's helping somebody and serving somebody and putting somebody before herself. I mean, I have been so blessed in my life, have one of the greatest gifts that God can ever give somebody. And that's a mom who loves me unconditionally. So if she was here, she usually sits over here. She's not here. No, she's not here. I'd look right at her and say, thank God for my mom. Genesis chapter 2, going all the way back. I mean, we're going going back to the beginning. Genesis 2, verse 5. I just want you to see something with me. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land... he said, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that's how we all got here? That God took, took some dirt from the ground and formed it up in his hands and then breathed into it the breath of life, and then that man became a, a, a real living person? Do you really believe that? Well, let me just tell you this. Before we talk about how, it's going to, how it began, let me tell you how it's going to end for you. Same way it's going to end for me. There's going to come a day, and we are going to breathe out our last breath. And then you know what's going to happen to us? We're going to return to dust. And it's going to end very much for us the same way that it, that it began. The Bible says that the Lord God took the man from the... And, and it's an important phrase, breathed into him the breath of life. I believe Moses wrote this scripture, and it was Moses who stood at the burning bush. He said, when he's going to go back to Egypt and free the captives, he says, who am I going to say, send me? And he says, you will say, I am sent you. And that's when God gave him the divine name of the Lord. We've talked about this before. Some people pronounce the name Yahweh. It's really pronounced. Everybody breathe in. Everybody breathe out. Even the atheist who says there is no God's got to say his name in order to say that statement. You've got to breathe in in order to breathe out. And the moment that you were born came into the world... That day, whatever your birthday is, you said his name for the first time. Now, most babies, I've been there three times, I can just speak for mine, they come out screaming the name. This is how it works. Come screaming the name. And for all of us, there was somebody who was there the first time we said his name. And that is who? That's mom. She was there. Now, That's Genesis 2. The fall comes in Genesis 3 and everything changes. Everything changes. Sin enters the world and it gets so bad so quickly. The the husband and his wife, uh, they're at odds. And then they bring forth children. And Eve's there when Cain is born and when Abel is born. And Cain takes his brother and strikes him down. So the first person that dies on earth does not die by what we might call natural causes, if that's even the right way to say it. He's, he's murdered. And he says the Lord's name for the last time when he struck down. And then God said, His blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you've got Eve. She's brought two boys into the world. She was there. Both times they both said the name of the Lord for the first time. And now she's still there when her boy Abel now, how are we going to fix this? How is this going to be solved? Is it by saying, Cain, you ought to be nicer to your brother? No, Cain's got something in him that he got from his dad and his mom. It's called a sin nature. And uh, you can scrub, and some, some of you, remember your mom doing this. Sometimes she, she, she'd scrub your face and get you all cleaned up. She can scrub and scrub and scrub and all that, but she can't clean up what's really wrong on the inside. And so another baby boy has to come. This one born of a virgin. And that baby boy's got to grow up into a man. He's the son of God. He, he didn't come into being that day, that Christmas morning. He's always been. He's been from the beginning. He is until the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the son of God. But he came as a baby to offer his body as a sacrifice for Cain's sin and for Abel's sin. Abel's not a perfect man. And for my sin and yours. For anybody's sin who would put their faith in him. And he hung up on that cross. And the Bible's very specific about this, by the way. It said he breathed his last. What does that mean? He says the name of the Lord. And the Bible says he gave up his spirit. And here's good news. You ready for good news? Three days later, empty tomb. You know what the first word in the tomb is? He comes back to life. That air fills his lungs again. And he walks out of there victorious over sin and death and the grave. Now, when the curse came, the curse for the woman was, God said, you will bring forth children in pain and suffering. So there's pain and suffering that leads to a birth. And God has an, God's intentional about everything he does. And very often in the physical world... He'll he'll teach us physical lessons that lead to spiritual truth. And a truth from the curse is God's just not being mean and cursing. Say, now you're cursed. You didn't do what I said. He's teaching us a lesson that through great pain comes the new birth. Now, here's the good news. It's not our pain. It's the one who took it upon himself. All we like sheep have gone astray, but he's laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now, here's the responsibility moms have now. Primary responsibility of their life. They're there the day this child comes into the world she brings him forth with much pain and suffering. And now to the end of her life or his life, she's going to have to try to teach him about the pain and suffering of Jesus that leads to the new birth. That's what, that's what her primary goal is now. Now, we all love moms, and I wrote down some quotes that remind us of moms. I like this one. It says, uh, a mother is someone who always thinks twice, once for herself and once for her children. I, I think my mom was a mom who only ever thought once. She ever thought about us. Another is, a a mom is a person who, seeing there are only four pieces of pie left for five people, promptly announces that she never did care for pie. Uh, Another quote is, there's only one pretty child in the world, and every mom has it, right? (laughs) Now, These quotes make us think about moms and who who mom is, but the best quotes about who moms are come from the Scripture. I was reading this text uh, This week, it's a text we always set our eyes on when we talk about the life that's to come. Being able to stand before the Lord Jesus and hear him say, you you, you know the quote right from scripture. What's he say? Well what? Well done, good and faithful servant. He does not say well said, he does not say well intended, well thought out or well planned. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, because Jesus is going to measure us, not by what we said we were going to do, not what we planned to do, but what we actually did. And and, and so moms, these children that God's blessed you with, we're going to open up the Word of God and start to look at some ladies, some moms who are very much esteemed in the Scripture. So if you have a handout and want to follow along, you you can do that. We're going to start in the book of Hebrews and uh, the 11th chapter. So go with me to Hebrews 11. I don't know if you do this at your house, but but we did this not long ago at my mom's house. Actually, she got the, out the old photo albums. You like to do the photo album thing. Most of our childhood pictures come from this glorious era called the late '70s. What a wonderful time! The shag carpet and the high knee socks, and I mean, it's just wonderful to get all that out. And you know, uh, it, you begin to look for look through the family album. And there's Aunt So and So, and there's there's uh, there's Brandon when he was. Little and there's Frank beating Brandon up and there's Joe beating Brandon up and there's both of them beating Brandon up and there there they are at putt putt and so so on and so forth. You get all these pictures out. You go look through the family album. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to open up God's Word, His family album, and I want to show you seven portraits from God's family album about some ladies, what they did in their life, because what they did is going to be much more important about what they than what they said. So we're going to start with Hebrews 11. And before we read that scripture. I want to uh, read you an article written by a lady named Rachel Jankovic. She, uh, she, she writes articles for a website called Desiring God, and I read them very often because she talks about motherhood. And I read her articles so that I can know a little bit better how to minister to the mom in our house, my, my wife, just to get a better appreciation of what goes on in her world. She says, uh, a few years ago when I had... Four children, and the oldest was still three. I I loaded them all up to go on a walk. And after the final sippy cup had found a place and we were ready to go, my two-year-old turned to me and said, Wow, you have your hands full, Mommy. She could well have said, Don't you know what causes that? Or, Are they all yours? Everywhere you go, people want to talk about your children why you shouldn't have them, how you could have prevented them, and and, uh, why they would never do what you have done. They want to make sure you know that you won't be smiling anymore when they are teenagers. All this at the grocery store in line while your children are listening. She says, in our culture, children rank way below college, below world travel for sure, below the ability to go out at night and at, at your leisure below honing your body at the gym, below any job that you may have or hope to get. In fact, children rate below your desire to sit around and and, uh, paint your toenails, if that's what you want to do, below everything. Children are the last thing you should ever spend your time doing. All this is good. I'll leave the article if you want to read the whole thing. But she goes on to say, motherhood is not a hobby. It is a calling. You do not collect children because you find them cuter than stamps. It's not something uh, to do if you can squeeze the time in. It's something that God gave you the time for. And she goes on to say, but a Christian would have a very different paradigm. We have to run to the cross to death. So so we lay down our hopes. We lay down our future. We lay down the petty annoyances. Lay down our desire to be recognized. Lay down your fussiness of your children. Lay down your perfectly clean house. Lay down your grievances about the life you are living. Lay down the imaginary life you think you would have had by yourself. You have to let it all go. She says, the question is not whether you're representing the gospel to your children. It's how you are representing it. Have you given your life to your children resentfully? Do you tally everything you do for them like a lone shark tallies debts? Or do you give them life the way God gave it to us, freely? She says, it is not enough to pretend... You might fool a few people. That person in line at the store might believe when you plaster on a fake smile, but your children will not. They know exactly where they stand with you. They know the things that you rate above them. They know everything you resent and hold against them. They know that you faked a cheerful answer to that lady only to whisper threats or bark at them in the car. We'll see some ladies here in the scripture that they view their role as moms as a very precious, trustworthy role of stewardship. So let's pray, and then we'll see some real short seven snippets of seven ladies from the Scripture and what God esteems in them about what they did. So, Father, again, we give you great praise and glory and honor for the Lord Jesus. That, that because of the fall, when everything was wrecked, you said everything right by the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now everything that we are and everything that we do and everything that we believe is rooted and grounded in the, in the cross. And that includes our roles as, as parents. Specifically this morning, Father, we speak about motherhood. What a call to self-sacrificing life. And Father, I pray before we try to lay that role down on anyone... We first looked at the cross where we see that that's what you've already done for us. When you put others before yourself, your own comfort or convenience, because you loved us. So I pray everything that we say about these women is a reflection on the cross and what you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at Hebrews 11. Jochebed. Who's Jochebed's son? He's much more famous than she is. Her son's Moses. So let's, let's read about uh, her in Hebrews 11, verse 22. Hebrews 11, verse 23, rather. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And you just, before we fly through that, you just think about that for a moment. You, can you imagine anything more difficult to hide than a newborn baby? Can you you think about trying to hide this child for three months? Now, the question is, why why are they trying to hide him? Well, the answer is pretty simple. In that day, a male child, they took him and threw him in the river. The Pharaoh, the head of the country, said, any male child born to the Hebrews, we're going to kill them. Because they're increasing in population, and if we're not careful, they're going to overtake our land. Or they'll go and align themselves with our enemies and then rise up from among us. So, so the law of the land in that day was to take the male child and throw him in the river. Now you know all that from Exodus 1. We won't go on to all the backstory, But can you imagine? No ultrasounds in those days. Child comes forth. It's a boy. And immediately Jacobed's mind is, he's an outlaw and he's one minute old. And we're going to hide him. And the Bible says, the Bible says they're going to hide him because they saw that the child was beautiful now, that's an interesting phrase in, in, in the Greek. What it's saying is that he was, they, they could tell that God had great plans for this child. The, when they looked upon him, it, they just recognized in their soul and their spirits what it's looking at. It's not necessarily talking about his physical appearance uh, uh, exclusively, but also that his appearance. He, here, here's a child that God's going to use mightily. And then it says in there, because they were not afraid of the king's edict. And before you just gloss over that statement, you've got to know Pharaoh in that day, his word was law. If Pharaoh walks down the road and he doesn't like the way that you look at him, he can take your head off and there's no court of appeals to go to. But it says they weren't afraid. Now, I want you to see here in this text, we're talking about number one, Jochebed is a woman who feared God and not man. And there's a contrast between two things. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So at first, who's got the faith? The parents have the faith and it's contrasted with the fear. So again, as a mom in your life, Raising your children, you're going to be uh, led by one of two things: either fear or faith. It's a fearful thing to have children, isn't it? I mean, I I mean, I've got three of my own, and if I'm not careful, if I'm not prayerful, if I'm not walking with the Lord, it becomes just eaten up by fear. What's going to happen to them? What's happening to the world around us? What are they going to? And you're just eaten up with fear. Now, can you imagine a more fearful circumstance to be in than if we catch your baby boy, we're going to kill him? And she said, the Bible says she's not dictated by fear. She doesn't fear God, she fears man. Now, just real quick, because we've got seven portraits we want to look at. It says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You remember the story, right? There comes a time when they can't, they can't keep hiding him. So they put him in a basket and put him in the river, and then the Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds him, and, and Pharaoh's daughter begins to raise up Moses as her own son, and then Moses' sister says, well, I know a lady who can help you with that and nurse him, and that's when they bring in Jochebed, the mom, and she comes in, and she kind of raises Moses uh, in Pharaoh's home and gets paid for it. Now, that's, that's wonderful, right? So, so she, she's raising him up, and I just want you to hold that thought because it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, faithful moms, you just got your prayer request written for you in the scripture. Where did Moses learn that it's better to be mistreated among God's people than it is to have all the luxury and wealth of Egypt? He learned it at his mommy's knee. Now Moses does great things, but I'll tell you this, most everything that Moses accomplishes in his life, you trace the roots back, it's to his faithful mom, praying for him, teaching him when nobody's around, when Pharaoh doesn't see it, when the court of Pharaoh doesn't see it, when she's not getting a lot of credit. It's a very thankless, tireless job. But Moses is going to stand one day, the Bible says he met with God. <laughs> he met with God face to face as a man meets with his friend. Now you go and read the book of Genesis Moses wrote and you read it the first five books. And he learned about God from his mom. Now I want you to see, she fears God and not man because sometimes in parenting, you just fear what everybody else thinks and what everybody else does. He's so old-fashioned, they'll say to you. Why don't you get with the times they'll say to you. Oh, it's not going to hurt them, they say to you. Moses' mom said more than anything else, I want my child to know God. And then when Moses is old enough to decide for himself, he chooses God. Now, here's, this is going to be shocking. He chooses God because it's what he wants to do. It's what he prefers. He doesn't choose God over Pharaoh and all the luxury because he's guilted into doing, well, I don't want to disappoint my mom. He chooses God because he views God. Just read what the Scripture says. Choosing rather to be mistreated with people... The people of God then to enjoy, listen to this, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Are there pleasures to sin? Absolutely. That's why, that's why it's all over the place. But the Bible says they're fleeting. They last just for a moment. And then in order to get as much pleasure from the sin as he did from the front end, you've got to keep doing it more and more and more and more. And that's the destructive tendency of the sin nature. It's by faith. Faith She feared God and not man. Let's keep moving. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to make you flip a little bit and we'll go through these quickly. I just want you to see some hallmarks of some women who God esteems in their role as mom. Next one's going to be Elizabeth. Elizabeth, number two, a man whose autumn years God had blessed. There's something else that's very much taught in our culture and that's you get a little window of time to really live, kind of eighteen to twenty five years old, maybe eighteen to thirty two, however you want to define it. And then you pass that, and it's all downhill from there, right? You hear that? Hear that message? I mean, I was in the in the uh, in the store getting the Mother Day card the other day, and saw the birthday cards, and they got a whole section over there. Man, when you hit forty, when you hit fifty, when you hit six, I mean, it's just basically the message is, man, why, you know, it's over for you. And so, what, because that's so trumpeted, what we find are people, instead of growing up into maturity, trying to strangle out the last few years of youthfulness in everything they do. Here's Elizabeth, a mom whose autumn years God blessed. Here's a beautiful woman. It says here in Luke 1, chapter 18, uh, verse 18, rather. And Zechariah said to the angel. Now, he, he, he's talking about that uh, his wife's going to have a child. And it's kind of like the Abraham and Sarah deal. They're like, well, that's not going to happen. I mean, we, we're, we're, we're past. The, bi- the biological clock is done. That alarm already sounded years ago. So Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He's very polite, isn't he? The angel answered him. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. It's the original game of charades and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. Now, I don't know how he pulled that off and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. First letter, V, right? Vision, that's what he's trying to do. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now here, it's going to be just a few statements, but it's going to be full of meaning. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. And now she's going to raise a little boy. You know what his name is? John. John the Baptist, there's a scene, we won't read it right now, when Mary, she's just been told she's going to have the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and she comes into the room, and Elizabeth, she's a little further along, in advance of her pregnancy, and the baby leaps for joy in her womb. And Elizabeth is going to raise a child who is so out of touch with his culture. The way that he dresses, the way that he talks, the things that he prioritizes are completely different Than all the other children. He doesn't have the cool clothes. He wears wears camel hair. Camel skin jacket. He shows up for preschool with his snack and and it's not the uh, fruit punch and the 100% sugar snack. The kids look, you've got locusts and honey. And Elizabeth doesn't She's a mom whose autumn years God blessed <laughs> because she's able to see her little boy rise up. And Jesus, here's what Jesus said. He's the greatest man ever born among women. John the Baptist, so out of touch with his culture. Moms, plead with you. Please, please, please make sure pray that your child is holy more than you want your child to be cool or in or whatever it is. Number 3 is going to be Mary. Mary is a mom, a woman who praised God in unexpected circumstances. You stay right there in Luke chapter 1. Read with me verse 26. Right after this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was... Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. My daughter's name's Mary, Mary Clara. And that's what I pray for her. Just like this Mary in the scripture, that more than anything else, she'll find favor with God. Here's a woman who praises God in unexpected circumstances. Look, look at Luke 2. After Jesus is born... Just look with me. It says, the shepherds come and they do the whole thing and glory to God in the highest, all this wonderful truth in the scripture. And then we got a little snippet of Mary and all who wondered, verse 18 of chapter 2, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Pondering them in her heart. She's thoughtful. She's reflective. She's a God who... Excuse me, a woman who praised God in unexpected circumstances. She never claims in the scripture perfection or boasted of self-righteousness. She, all, she knew all she was and all she had was the result of God's marvelous grace. She may be the original scrapbooker. There she is. She's pondering all these things, writing them all down. Number four, we're going to stay right here. We're just reading through the Luke 2 now. It's going to be Anna. Anna is a widow devoted to God. Anna is a woman who had tragedy befall her. In her younger days, according to verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was so 84. So her husband died when she was young. Now, that tragedy enters her life, and here's the way tragedy always seems to go. Tragedy comes... And a person will either allow God to use that to draw that person closer to God or the person will run away from God. And that's the way tragedy goes. Here's what Jesus said. In this world you will have trouble. So when trouble comes your way, don't think that God's mad at you or that God's uh, got it out for you. No, he's in the process of restoring the fallen creation. He is going to set all things new. He's already done the most important thing in that process by sending his son to die. But now we still live in this fallen world. And Anna, Anna, young bride, got the whole life in front of her. This man that she loves and he, and he dies. What does she do with her life from that point on? Well, Here's what it says. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. When you see the great movements of God in the world or in a church, very often you'll be able to trace it back to faithful, secret praying from a woman of God like Anna. Now, look what happens, verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's been praying. She's been fasting. She's been praying for God to do a great work in Israel as all the people have abandoned God. The temple worship Jesus is going to show had become a farce. And there she is praying and praying and praying. Anna prays more for people than she complains about people. She's prayerful. She's fasting. And then one day, here they come, little baby Jesus. And she sees Him for herself and she gives thanks to god and spoke to him she's a, one of the original missionaries she waited for a particular child and there he was the lord jesus now anna easily could have been consumed with grief and anger towards god for the circumstances in her life instead she did not depart from the temple instead she gave herself to fasting and prayer We've got three more next is mary and martha sisters 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 with an open home most every time we see mary and martha in the bible they're opening their home to somebody else so there's a lot of scripture we could look about about that but let's go to john chapter 12 don't you love to go to somebody's home who knows the meaning of the word hospitality i mean just as soon as you walk in the door they make it you feel like you're at your house that's how mary and martha are Now look with me in John chapter 12. They have a home where people, when they enter, they feel encouraged. They feel refreshed. I've been in a lot of homes at Calvary Baptist Church of yours, and I feel the same way when I leave. One of the best things that can be said about their house is Jesus liked to go there. And here's one of the times that he's there. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him, right? They're cooking for him, and he's there. Martha served. Now this time she doesn't complain about Mary not serving. She'd learned that lesson already. So Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Now Lazarus has just been raised from the dead, so they've got all sorts of things to talk about. Then Mary walks in, therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, and made pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Love that phrase. The house is filled up with the fragrance of the perfume. I think one way it's literally filled up with the fragrance of the perfume, but also the house is filled up with the fragrance of hospitality and kindness and worship and devotion. And there are still homes that you can walk into today, and the moment you walk in, it's like you smell a fragrance. Here's a house where Jesus would want to come. So here you got sisters with an open house. Uh, women like Mary and Martha can make such an influence in a child's life. Maybe when nieces and nephews come over or friends come over. It's, it's a, a, another adult in a child's life who takes on that role of pointing them to, to Jesus. You can be a great blessing. Sometimes, sometimes mom, motherhood's such an exhausting job, it'd be wonderful if somebody comes alongside and says, I can help you today. You come over to my house, we'll make dinner, we'll sit, we'll talk about the Lord together. Let's do two more. Next one's going to come from Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Lydia, a businesswoman, yielded to God. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11 little context. Paul's in Europe for the first time. He's never been to this part of the world. And uh, so everything's unfamiliar to him. So God's told him to go there. And then God's going to take care of him. And one of the ways God's going to take care of him is going to use this lady, Lydia. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. Anybody ever been to those places? Anybody? Okay. And from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God. See, she's a business lady, and she's a worshiper of God. And the Bible says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She opens her home. And then I love this phrase, and she prevailed upon us. Ever have somebody like that just prevail upon? They're not going to take no for an answer? My mom's kind of that way when she wants to do something nice for you. No, mom, you don't have to do it. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's how Lydia is. No, no, I don't want to intrude. I, I, we just got here. We don't want to. Have, no, no, you're going to come. I've got your bed made, got your dinner ready, and Paul, I want you to come. She was so appreciative of the gospel that had been preached to her in response to that. Lydia says, I can't, be, I, I can't go and preach like you do, Paul, but one thing I can do is I can make sure that you have a nice warm place to sleep at night. And I can tell you this, the places that Paul's going to go in the future, to have a night, the nice warm bed, a place to stay at Lydia's, For the rest of his days, I think he probably looked back on that. You'll you'll see him in his letters often make mention of Lydia. He says it to the Roman church, I believe. And if you see Lydia, greet her in the name of the Lord. He's saying, I will never forget what she did. Here's a businesswoman. Yielded to God. She gets income. She uses it to help others. And then the last one. Last, but certainly not least. Let's go to 2 Timothy. Just keep going left. Get to 1 Timothy. You're almost there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This is much later from Paul's life, long long after the days when he stayed at Lydia's house. And Paul's life's about over. 2 Timothy's about the last letter that he writes, and uh, he's going to pass the baton on to to this next guy, Timothy. Timothy's actually going to become the pastor, or is at the time he receives this letter, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Paul makes a very interesting statement about Timothy's faith. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and... In your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So here, number seven, we see a grandmother with genuine faith. Paul says she's got the real thing. You know there's such a thing as fake faith, right? Insincere faith, inauthentic faith. Jesus warns us repeatedly about it. He says on the judgment day, many are going to come to him saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? And he'll say, Depart from me. I didn't ever know you. You weren't a person of sincere faith. Now here, Paul's saying, I remember your grandma. He says, This faith that's in you, Timothy, we can chase it back two generations to your grandmother, Lois. She passes it on to Eunice, and she also passes it on to Timothy. Now we can all say amen to this. Aren't we thankful for some godly grandmoms? These women who've been tested, not over the minutes. And not over the months, not even over the years, but over the decades. And they were able to say with the psalmist, I was young, but now I'm old, and I have not seen the righteous forsaken. I have a, um, I won't tell you where I keep it. I have a little thing I'm going to pass along to my son. It's a Joe DiMaggio autographed baseball card. In 1992, I was all into, I was all into trading cards, and the Holy Grail of baseball cards was produ- produced in 1992 by the Score Baseball Card Company. And they only made 2500 in all the world. And Joe DiMaggio, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, the old Yankee Clipper, 56-game hitting streak, that same hand that held the bat during the 56-game hitting streak, he signs his name on the back of that card. Joe DiMaggio. I got it in this nice case. Keep it protected, and there's going to be one day I'm going to say to my son, "Here's my card. I'm going to pass it on. I'm going to be a little family heirloom." And then maybe I don't know. He can do whatever he wants to do. I'm going to suggest though, maybe he can pass it on to his son, pass it on to his son, pass it on. Yeah, if a family heirloom like that. Here's the family heirloom of Lois: genuine faith, the real thing. And you know where uh, genuine faith is best measured? It's actually not in here right now. It's actually when we all leave from here. Go out those doors, and then go everywhere you're going to go for lunch. You already got that figured out. Some of you are already trying to figure it out. And then you're going to go back. At some point, sometime today, you're going to go back home. And I'm just going to say, I think the scripture will bear this truth. That's where it's real or it's not. Now, Timothy says, well, Paul says to Timothy, man, in your home, this praying grandma that you had, sincere faith. One of two things I know is going to happen in my life. Either me or my children are going to say the Lord's name for that final time here on the earth. And man, before that happens, either in my life or theirs, I want to make it my aim. I'm so thankful for my wife. I want to look at this list and see the things that she does in our our home. What children need more than anything else that we can give them? Are these things, particularly we'll end with Lois. Genuine faith. Let's stand together and we're going to pray together.